Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. As the Monterey Jazz Festival kicks off again this weekend, we're going to go back in time to a chilly evening back in 1962. 60 years ago, this unprecedented, unusual musical premiered at the festival. It was called The Real Ambassadors, and it featured a glittering array of jazz titans, including Louis Armstrong. This was the height of the civil rights movement, and the musical cast artists of different races, challenging racism and social injustice through jazz. The Real Ambassadors was written by two Californians who were influential in moving jazz into the mainstream, Dave and Iola Brubeck. He grew up on a cattle ranch in Ione in Amador County, she in Redding. They met in Stockton at College of the Pacific in 1945, and they went on to become a couple and lifelong collaborators. They were living in the Oakland Hills when they first came up with the idea for The Real Ambassadors as a Broadway show. Once again, it's time for the Dave Brubeck Show. Mike Lawless here, and sitting across from me is a friend of Dave Brubeck's, pretty good friend too, Iola Brubeck. <laughs> First, Oli, when did the original idea for a Broadway show come about? About five years ago, when we were still living in California, Dave was playing in the East. I came out one summer, and I went to, I guess, every musical that was running at that time. I went over to Central Park one night to a jazz concert. I'm Sasha Coca, and it's the California Report magazine. This week, we've got a special treat for you. We're going to dive into the making of The Real Ambassadors with an episode from our friends, the Kitchen Sisters, and producer Brandy Howell. Number one's Joe Williams. I listened to Joe Williams. Joe Williams was the guy who, you know, the goose pimple test, was the one who really reached emotionally. Every day... He reached me much greater than any of the Broadway shows with all the great lavish sets, storylines. And I thought to myself, well, the time has come to do a real jazz musical. Nobody loves me. 
we started writing the show based on a jazz band headed by Louis Armstrong on a State Department tour of the world. In 1958, Dave himself actually went on a State Department tour. President Eisenhower sent us on a tour at a time when there was great conflict between the United States and Russia to help bring our cultures together. The jazz ambassadors, Duke Ellington, Dave Brubeck, Dizzy Gillespie, were chosen to go overseas on behalf of Uncle Sam. My name is Keith Hatchek, author of The Real Ambassadors. Dave and Iola Brubeck and Louis Armstrong challenge segregation. These jazz ambassadors, who were largely African-American, were really treated like royalty overseas. But when they got home, they were immediately subjected to the same kind of Jim Crow. Oh, Mr. Armstrong, you'll have to come in through the loading dock at the Waldorf Astoria. You can't actually come in through the front door, even though you're playing here. That was an injustice that really started gnawing at my dad. I'm Chris Brubeck, the third child of Dave and Iola Brubeck. My mom's reaction was to write the real ambassadors. Before they left in 1958 on the tour, they had to go to a briefing. A very sort of officious man says, when controversy comes up, you head in the opposite direction. You should just be smiling and playing your music. Remember who you are. Remember who you are and what you represent. Never face a problem, always circumvent. Stay away from issues, be discreet. When controversy enters, you retreat. Remember who you are and what you represent. Always be a credit to your government. No matter what you say or what you do, the eyes of the world are watching you. Remember. It begins by talking about Thomas Jefferson and Lincoln and the founding principles, but by the end, they're swinging and singing about Count Basie and Jelly Roll, what it means to live a full and good life. Jelly Roll and Basie helped us to invent a weapon that no other nation has, especially the Russians can't clean jazz. Remember who you the truth is, Louis Armstrong was the one who influenced the State Department Jazz Ambassador Tours. My name's Ricky Riccardi. I am Director of Research Collections for the Louis Armstrong House Museum. 1955, Louis embarked on a three-month tour of Europe. There was literally riots in Germany, crowds screaming for him in Paris, and there was such a buzz that Columbia Records records this album called Ambassador Satch. The uh, New York Times at the end of 1955, wrote, America's greatest weapon is a blue note in a minor key, and right now its most effective ambassador is Louis Armstrong. That really got the State Department involved. Passport, shop, identification, visas. 1957, the State Department was getting ready to send him to Russia, but that's when Armstrong put his career on the line to speak out against racial injustice in Little Rock, Arkansas. Little Rock, Arkansas, and the first phase of the trouble. The white population are determined to prevent colored students from going to the school their own children. Armstrong had not spoken out before, and he had been getting some criticism from younger African-American commentators throughout the 1950s. When he turned on the TV in his hotel room, and he saw the tragedy that was unfolding in Little Rock with the effort to uh, integrate Central High School, he immediately called the hotel front desk and said, I need to dictate a telegram to the White House. 
national newspapers published the story. Satchmo calls Ike a coward. If these people are allowed to spit on a little black girl who can't even go to school, a person like me doesn't even have a country. What are you going to tell the Russians when they ask you about the Little Rock incident? It all depends what time they send me over there. I don't think they should send me tomorrow unless it's fate that mess down south. That was one more piece of inspiration that they used in creating the character of Pops for the real ambassadors. One, two, three. I'm the real ambassador. It is evident I wasn't sent by government to take your place. Armstrong's All band, the All-Stars, it was an integrated band. He often had white musicians. When they would tour the South, he could not play with that band in New Orleans, his home state of Louisiana. I represent the government, the government don't represent some policies I'm in 1949, being crowned the king of the Mardi Gras, did not be able to give a free concert. This was tearing him up. Segregation is a legality, isn't it? After Armstrong spoke out against Little Rock, he kind of made it his policy to stop speaking out until March of 1965, during the march on Selma, Alabama, Bloody Sunday. Armstrong was on his way to go behind the Iron Curtain for the very first time. Reporters in Denmark kind of got up the nerve to ask him, well, we don't see you out there marching, you know, what are you doing for the cause? And he said, listen, the best thing I can do is play my music. And if I was gonna go out there and march, first thing they would do is punch me in the mouth. Without my lips, I can't do what I do best for the cause. The reporters said, oh, you really think they would beat Louis Armstrong? And he said, they would beat Jesus if he was black and marched. I in. Ain't got a friend, my only sin is in my skin, what did I do? Every night during that tour, he does, what did I do to be so black and blue? Which he had originally recorded in 1929, it's known as the first protest song. In the case of my father, he had Eugene Wright, who was a great bass player. He's African-American. There was a whole big Southern tour, and then the, the head of the school, oh man, you know, you know, we can't have black people playing with white people. The jazz musicians helped the schools back on track. One of our last concerts, students were stamping on the floor, and we were in the locker room underneath, and it was such a roar of feet, because we were an hour late. The president of the school was talking to the governor. He came back and said to me, we don't want another Little Rock. You go on, but keep your bass player in the back. So. The second tune, I told Eugene, your microphone is broken. You'll have to move out in front of the band and use my speaking mic, and I'd like you to, to do a solo. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, that, that auditorium went crazy. It was integrated with such joy. I'd get to a concert, and if it was segregated, I wouldn't play. Louis Armstrong wouldn't play. 
By the end of 1958, the Brubecks had a script, they had a score, but they had not gotten to Armstrong yet. Brubeck's got a few minutes to make the elevator pitch, and so he pulls out the lyrics and the sheet music to a song called Lonesome. Lewis kind of recited it like a poem, and it had a very, very deep emotional effect on Dave Brubeck. Armstrong was like, I'm on board. You tell me when to show up, and I'm there. He says, it would really help me out a lot if you could make some reel-to-reel tapes and send them to me with some of the songs so I can start practicing to them. Hi, Louie. This is Dave Brubeck. I'm ashamed of the horrible way in which I sing, but at least you'll be able to hear the words and you can figure now, out... Now, Louie, I'd like to introduce you to my wife. She's really the one responsible for the show. It was her idea over two years ago to write a Broadway show with you as the lead. She's always considered you the greatest ambassador. So this is my wife, Iola. We call her Oli. Right now, we're in the middle and scramble of preparing an audition tape for producers to listen to. Dave told me about your reading the song Lonesome in Chicago and how moved he was. If we could even get just this much of you on the audition tape. Well, Oli, would you like to read Lonesome so Pops can hear? All of my life, I've been lonely. All of my life, I've been lonely. I'll go way back in my past. I'll go way back in my past. I'll tell you all about lonesome. How the winters last and last. How the winters last and last. Well, Louie, that's proof enough that you'll never be able to make a gnat pull out of me like you said you could. But what I'll do is I'll send you these on a tape that will make All of my life, I've been lonely. I'll go way back in my past. I'll tell you all about lonesome. How the winters last and last. They were so thrilled because it involved Louie. And they were singing lyrics that my mom had written. As I look back on it, he was thrilled for this to be a musical event that shone the spotlight on her abilities as well. His whole career was really defined about how smart she was. The 1950s, when you really started to work with your husband, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about what it was like being that active as a woman? Truly a juggling act. I bet. I did a lot of the apron strings and getting dinner on the table. That was a given. I was the bookkeeper, I wrote the salaries, took care of the taxes and all of that, wrote program notes, uh, did the bookings for travel. They called me Central Intelligence. (laughs) When Dave was home from the road, they would spend a good part of every day chauffeuring their kids around to music lessons, dance lessons for Kathy, They'd have two yellow legal pads for the lyrics and story ideas. They'd park outside and they'd have 45 minutes. Dave would come up with doggerel or just sort of gibberish, but it would fit the beats of the music. And then Iola would set about starting to make sense of it and turn it into a song lyric. This was their passion project over a five-year period. 
They knew that the next stop had to be Broadway. They spent much of 1959 and 1960 speaking with uh, major producers. They were open to any and all suggestions, but every time it seemed like they were ready to lock it in and get this producer on board and book the theater, something would come in the way. And that something was usually <laughs> Joe Glazer. Joe Glazer was my father's agent slash manager. Before he had anything to do with my father, he was much more intertwined with Louis Armstrong's career. Louis Armstrong first got involved with Joe Glazer because there were two different mafia-controlled jazz clubs who wanted Louis on the same day, and both of them threatened to break his arms and bust his mouth if he didn't play at one or the other. There's only one guy that knows how to stand up to these guys and straighten this out. He's a guy named Joe Glazer. He's hanging out with Al Capone's crew, a real kind of shadowy figure. When my parents came up with the idea of the Real Ambassadors, we never quite knew, like when things were almost happening, if Joe Glazer was doing secret little things to make sure that it couldn't. Thankfully, the thing that did happen was this recording that they did and the famous one performance at the Monterey Jazz Festival. You were tuned to 999 WJZZ FM, and you're listening to the Dave Brubeck Show. Let's go back and find out about this show that is called a Broadway show without having reached Broadway. Oli? Yes, we're now going to record it. As someone at Columbia Records said, the most expensive demo that has ever made. <laughs> Here we go, the real ambassador, take one. We're rolling. Keep rolling. It was a little slower than that, too, last night. We That's that. Yeah, we had yeah. the loop going. Then we doubled it. Yeah. yeah okay, one, two, three. We're the real ambassadors. It is evident we represent American society Noted for its etiquette, its manners and sobriety We have followed protocol with absolute propriety We're Yankees There are some other people involved too, I understand Carmen McRae has the feminine role and Lambert Hendrickson Ross. Lambert and Hendrickson Ross, one of the first famous jazz scat vocal group, they were like the Greek chorus. The Real Ambassadors, the Columbia album, was recorded over about a week's time in September 1961. Armstrong, he's 60 years old at this point, and he's learning all these complex Dave Brubeck originals with some of these tongue-twisting Iola Brubeck lyrics. He had absorbed the Brubeck's audio letters, so he is ready. After one take, Brubeck said, how are your chops doing, Pops? And Armstrong said, don't worry about the chops, it's my brain. <laughs> he said, my brain's gonna get worn out with all these lyrics. Man, if they just let me run things my way, this world would be a swinging place. Yeah, Pops, what would you do? First thing I'd do is call a basement session. Ah, uh, Pops, you mean Summit Conference. Man, I don't mean a U.M. kind of session. I mean a jam session. Louis and the band are visiting in a small kingdom in Africa. The populace choose Louis to be king of the Mardi Gras. He is picked up on the shoulders of the people and marched through the streets. He is proclaimed king for the day. 1960, Armstrong goes on his first State Department concert tour. He goes to the Congo. The Congo is in the middle of a civil war in Leopoldville at this point, but they call a 24-hour truce because Armstrong is coming. Carry him in on a throne, basically declared a holiday. 
and it was like the wildest thing that everything the Brubecks wrote in their script had come true. When the album comes out, the, the Real Ambassadors, the back cover photo is Lewis in the Congo in 1960 being carried on a throne. If you came for only a day, how'd you go about having your way? Well, if my every wish is your command, I go and from a swinging band with all the leaders from every land. Dave and Iola didn't view the soundtrack recording as another record by Dave Brubeck. They viewed it as getting Columbia to pay to make a demonstration recording. Broadway is the dream. Coming up is a blues that states the real purpose of the show. You begin to sing, they say I look like God, while the priests continue their chant. They say I look like God. God created man in his image and likeness. Then God is black, my God. In the image of God created he them. If both are made in the image of thee. In the image of God created he could them. They say I look like God. The Brubecks wrote thinking that Armstrong, with his usual jocularity, was going to just take one look at the lyrics and deliver with a little wink. It opens up, if man is made in the image of God, you know, know, could thou perchance a zebra be? You know, black people, white people, was was God a zebra? Ha ha. And he thought Lewis would kind of just, you know, deliver it with a little chuckle. And Lewis shows up in the studio. Oh, Lord, please hear my plea. And he turned that studio into a church. to see that our creation was meant to be an act of God to set man free. They needed to call a break after the take because everybody was just emotionally done. When the record came out, it received almost no radio airplay, but Brubeck's attorney leaked to jazz critic Ralph Gleason for reel-to-reel with a few of the songs from the recording session, Gleason was bowled over. The Brubecks, Ralph J. Gleason and Jimmy Lyons from the Monterey Jazz Festival, they, they kind of came up with this way of staging of the Real Ambassadors. Everybody's coming. Everybody's coming. Oh, my Everybody's gosh, Monterey. Coming. Louis Armstrong will appear. This was the original I score. I haven't looked at this in ages. My name is Yolande Bhavan. I'm originally from Sri Lanka. I had the great good fortune of singing in the jazz musical written by Dave and Isla Brubeck at the Monterey Jazz Festival 1962. They have one day to rehearse here in San Francisco. The intensity of this rehearsal session, they've performed it in the recording studio, but this was going to be live in front of 6,000 people. When we arrived in Monterey, well, it's so beautiful. The ocean, that big sir kind of water. 
It was a little bit chilly in the evening. All the musicians and the staff and the crew and all would hang out behind the stage. And in the center was a fire pit. I know I was huddling, I was wearing a sari, laughing and cracking jokes. And Dizzy was there and I remember him saying that he was going to run for president and it would be called the Black House. <laughs> it was really good times, masking a lot of pain. When we did the show, it was amazing. It was live and open air. It was just a glorious night. It brought so many things into focus. The stories behind the music and the lives of the people that played that music. Ayola was the narrator. Ayola Brubeck stood there, the audience left, the stage would go black and she would be illuminated and with a single pin spot, she looked almost like the Delphic Oracle in a dark blue sheath dress a beautiful gold and white shawl, and her hair was up on top of her head. She stood almost six feet tall. When Louis stands and sings about being ignored by people, <laughs> you can't move, you're almost paralyzed with emotion. That, that's why Dave wrote this, that the real ambassadors was the music of this country. Music is what overcomes everything racial barriers, sociopolitical. Music is energy. Those present said it was one of the most memorable nights in the career of Armstrong, the career of Brubeck, the history of the Monterey Jazz Festival. Joyful madness. The applause, the whistles, the shouting. There's cameras right there. There was recording equipment and Joe Glazer did not give the green light to have it recorded. You know, if you're gonna criticize Joe Glazer, start there. Initially there was thought, wow, this thing could become a touring show. Glazer was like, well, Lewis is actually already booked all the way through 1964. So within a month of this sensational performance and response, all the different musicians were back on their tour schedules. Within a year, it started to become a distant memory. Yes, my love. And one of the great songs in that show is Summer Song. Louis always said, the Brubecks have written an opera for me. Love to me. It's like a summer day, silent cause, there's just too much to say, still and warm and peaceful. The Real Ambassadors is trying to get a message through art about what truth is, cultural truth. Oh, love to me. It's like a summer day If it ends The memories will stay On my parents' grave marker the lyrics to Summer Song are engraved on the back as my parents, you know, right off into an eternity as partners I can hear sing my summer song I can write that and sing 
Try it again. Either one you do. Insert two, take one. I can sing. I okay. I can. Oh, that's why you take me. I can sing my summer song. The Real Ambassadors was produced by the Kitchen Sisters, Nikki Silva and Davia Nelson, and Brandy Howell in collaboration with Jackson Spenner. Original mix by Jim McKee. Special thanks to the Louis Armstrong Educational Foundation and the Louis Armstrong House Museum, Michael Bellicosa and the Brubeck Collection, the Wilton Library in Connecticut, the Complete Louis Armstrong Columbia, and RCA Victor Studio Sessions 1944 to 1966 Mosaic Records the Milken Family Foundation Archive Oral History Project, and the Library of Congress. The California Report magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor, our director Susie Racho, and Brendan Willard is our sound engineer. Our intern is Jessica Carissa, and I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine, your state, your stories. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.